This is the Movie Hall of Fame Dealer's Choice, Part 1, for Friday, March 12, 2020. Adam Hall. How you doing? I'm hanging in. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. How we're are still, you? We're st- we're, I'm okay. I'm in my basement this time. I've changed locations for, for the vibe. I don't know. This just feels right. Oh, it's a vibe check. It is a vibe check. I got my dog down here. He's just come down to say what's up. What, Pooch! What's up? What, what's up, Bo? He just walked away. Pooch! Anyway, <laughs> this is a good dog. Even Nico likes this dog. Fucking love your dogs. Yeah, my dogs are the shit. <laughs> your dogs are better friends than I could ever imagine having oh. myself. You know, <laughs> they're just bros. They just chill. They don't. They don't ask for too much affection, but it's just enough so that the, you know that they like you. And then they go and they do their own thing. They're they not annoying. Just chill. Yes. Yes. They just chill. They just fucking chill, man. Mm-hmm. They're just I- a '90s movie. <laughs> They're not a 70s movie. They're nope. certainly not an 80s movie. They're a 90s movie. That's right. That's right. <laughs> We're not too expensive. We're not going to like confuse you with the plot. I like that a lot. That's a good analogy. We're just going to bro- chill, man. He's doing it right now. He's just plopping down. Boom. Look at him go. And now he's just going to sit there for like the entire pot. He's a fucking <laughs> Kevin Smith movie. Doesn't ask too much of you. No, no, that's right. They're whippets, by the way, to those curious. And those might think like, oh, you got whippets. They're super fast and energetic as shit. But no, it's a big misconception. When they're outside, they're they're super fast. But when they're inside, they literally just burrow. It's so funny. Mm, Right. No, they're they're dope. I love your dogs. Um, All right. Let's talk movies, Adam Hall. All right. Let's do it. This week, we decided to change it up. Mm Mm-hmm. We normally have a topic. Most of the time it's a year, but we've gone through all of the years and we've exhausted many topics. There are plenty more to come. Don't you worry. We we have no signs of slowing down anytime soon. But this week we decided to go back through some of these years that we've discussed already and uh, pick out the gems that we have not talked about for one reason or another. Um, These are movies that I think we've been circling for a very long time on this podcast. I know... You checked off a lot of, um, you know, a lot of movies on your watch list. I also did the same this week. Um, you nominated three. I nominated three. They are among some of our favorite movies ever. But for whatever reason, we just didn't put it on a list. And now this is our opportunity to write that wrong. Exactly. Which is a good thing to do. It's something I wanted to do for a long time. And I bring up the, my movies on my list like constantly. Mm. Mine in particular. The ones you gave me. Two of them I actually picked technically. Mm. Technically. But... um. Yeah, for the most part, uh, yeah, these are these have been things that have been on our minds. Although I think uh, a couple of them, I'm not even sure we got to the years, honestly. Yeah, I think that's, two of them. You are from the '50s, yes. and we, I think we've only covered one year from the '50s, so it's possible that we'll come back and talk about them again. Yeah, certainly. If we ever do, uh, uh, not to spoil it, uh, what it's going to be. I mean, you've you've read it, you you've clicked on the pod, you know what it's going to be. But yeah, when we do a true faux pod, we might talk about another movie at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we're ever going to do a Kubrick pod. I don't think that's necessary. Yeah, I mean, we've basically covered all of his movies. Y- yeah, the notable um, movies, I guess. <laughs> I guess Eyes Wide Shut and Barry Lyndon we haven't done yet. That would actually th- would work yeah. on a Dealer's Choice podcast. Yeah, um, they would, they would. But have but we done, like, Strange Love that year? Have not. Yeah. Have that year, That's true. We haven't done Strange Love. Um, we've done 2001. We've mm-hmm. done The Shining, Full Metal Jacket. Clockwork Orange and Clockwork, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's basically all of them. 
Um, yeah, but we're we're definitely going to write one of those wrongs, like an iconic Kubrick movie, perhaps his first iconic movie. Yeah, I, I had agree. never seen, and you love it, and mm. I, I finally watch it this week. So this was actually a great opportunity to sort of, you know, just uh, just just cleanse that watch list. Yes, you know what I'm yeah, saying. He- no, it was a good thing. I mean, the one of the movies on your list, you, you talked about glowingly recently, and it was like, you know, because of the director, I wanted to get around to it eventually, and I'm happy that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one was something that you brought up to me when we first met. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, you, 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 we, were, we were just kind of casually talking about movies, and you brought up that one, and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. The Limey? Is that yeah, what you're talking about? Yeah, the oh, limey. Wow. Never, I had never heard of it until you uh, suggested it to me. So I was like, "All right, like I'll get to it." Cut to five years later, I finally watched the movie. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> has it been five years? Yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah. What What is happening? Where is the time gone? I have no idea. <laughs> Jesus, it's all been thrown into this podcast. <laughs> I've known you for for five years. Yeah. How's that make you feel? Disgusting. I, I just feel like I've wasted five years of my life. <laughs> that long, I wanted to Likewise. kick you to the curb a lot earlier. I just never got around to it. Much like I never got around to watching the 400 blows. I yep. never got around to just kicking you out of my life. Yep. And now you're bad. just you're living here rent free. What is going it's, on? I'm the tumor. I'm the tumor of the pot. Man. <laughs> my apologies. Here are the six movies that we nominated in this Dealer's Choice podcast. We have to do this maybe once every couple months because there are oh, so many movies that we just overlook. I was going through Letterboxd and I realized I looked at like my my like catalog and I realized I only had like 400 movies. And I'm like, yeah, I've seen like well over like 2000 movies. So let me just start like combing through and just adding movies. And that's what I was doing. And I realized Oh my God! There's a lot of good movies we haven't talked about yet. A lot of great movies. I, and I did shit. a similar thing a year ago on Letterboxd too. I'm up to 1,300, but I, mm-hmm. I, I'm at least 200, 300 short. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are so many on there. It's like, oh yeah, it's a great feature if you go on Letterboxd, just go year by year, and yep. scroll through every single year, and you're like, holy shit! Like they did make a Lilo and Stitch sequel that I saw. Yeah. You know, exactly. like there's just so many of those films that you forget. Um, and yeah, I, I, I gave you a short list. There were at least 20 or 30 that mm-hmm. some of them, they just have never been mentioned on the podcast, nope. like not even in passing. No, nope. no. Nope. Um, and they're among my favorites of all time. Some of them were some of my favorites, too. You know, one of them was a documentary I watched, which we talked about on the other podcast. Yes. I watched very recently. I don't know if we mean to go over that again. Uh, yeah, do, yeah. Go listen to Why Is This a Thing if you yeah. want Adam's hot take on Dear Zachary. It was a hot. Isn't every take a hot take on Dear Zachary? <laughs> when is it not a hot take? <laughs> oh, what a movie! What a movie! <laughs> Christ, Jesus fucking Christ! You know who insisted on watching it? Abigail. Yeah. Oh goodness! <laughs> insisted on watching it. What did she think of it? Oh, it was like heartbreaking for her. Yeah. I mean, she, you know, it's what did you expect? <laughs> I, I mean, I would not recommend Abigail watch it. No, I, I told her not to watch it, but she was, you know, she, she watched it a- after you watched it. Yeah. I told her I saw like the most upsetting film I've ever seen in my life. And then she was like, oh, Adam, did you cry? I'm like, yeah, I cried. And I rarely cry in movies, but I cried during this. I one. have a very distinct memory of seventh grade in middle school. Yeah. 
there was a field trip that got canceled because it got rained out. We were supposed to go, I think, to Six Flags. And instead, we got stuck at the middle school as a grade in the auditorium watching the boy in the striped pajamas. What? And I have a distinct memory of Abby Richardson bawling her eyes out at the end of that movie. Aww. Crying very hard. And I think she was the only one crying <laughs> at the end of Boy in the Striped Pajamas. And so that is why she would be the last candidate I'd show Dear Zachary to. <laughs> I, I, I mean, she does cry at, at most movies, things, whatever. Yeah. You know, she, she's likely to cry during, I don't know, WandaVision or something. But... Well, I, I definitely cried at the end of that because my brain hurt from having to <laughs> keep track of what the fuck was going on. I heard it went really downhill really quickly. What the hell? What the hell, WandaVision? I, I told you so, man. I'm like, why don't you wait until it's all out and then, <laughs> then Goodness watch Goodness gracious. That last episode is atrocious. <laughs> it is so bad. I don't know. Yeah. I know. I heard they all about it. They bring in like three villains. I'm not sure which villain is supposed to be the bad guy, which is like kind of the bad guy, but also sort of has a heart <laughs> of gold. If our hero is supposed to be the bad guy, where uh, is she's saw- off to next at the end of that? I don't know what's happening. No. Mm-mm. I saw like a, like a, like a, what would you, like a wax looking vision, like a total white vision fighting normal vision. Right. It looks like Dragon Ball Z. And I'm just like, I mean, I like my Dragon Ball Z, but I don't like my Marvel Dragon Ball Z. So yeah, if you if you're at the end of a superhero story and you find yourself asking the question, which vision is actually vision? I think the storytellers have committed a couple sins. I agree. And that's what happened in the last episode of WandaVision. (laughs) Two visions are fighting and we're like, which one is the real vision? And then one of them just goes away and the other visions just hanging out. God, like, like I, I don't feel bad for anybody. Like to anybody who like got really into it and, and was excited, and then they were annoyed by the fact that it just turned into another Marvel thing. Yeah, just more Marvel shtick. Like, it's a, what did you expect? You're right, hundred percent. And I did expect that going in, and I was prepared for it. What I was not prepared for was the film slash television show to give me a like metaphorical lobotomy. Oh. And that's what happened in the last episode of that. It's like I feel like a part of my brain has been removed because I literally don't understand what's happening in this show about a woman with a cape. Like that's a fucking problem. Yes, it is. You know, it's just a problem, man. Give me Hawkeye. Just give me Hawkeye slinging arrows. I don't ask for much. You should get that soon. We are getting it and I'm happy we're getting it. Oh. I'm happy to see what how Renner passes the arrow onto Haley Steinfeld. Is that what's happening in the Hawkeye show? What? I think what? so. What? I, I think that's the plot of Hawkeye. I'm lost. I'm lost. Already I'm lost. Let's I will get not into be... some good movies, Adam. Let's not okay, talk yeah, about Jesus. this shit. <laughs> Here are my three movies. We'll talk about mine first and then we'll get to yours in the back half. Okay. I nominated Paper Moon, The Player, and The Limey. And you nominated Paths of Glory, The 400 Blows, and In the Mood for Love. One of them earning its way into the Movie Hall of Fame. I think all are worthy candidates. I Oh, it, 
this is the funny thing about this pod is that you look at a list like this and every single one of these movies, yeah, should probably be in there in some Stacked. form or another. Stacked. But, yeah, but how the hell do you get them all in? That's the, the, We have to do these crazy workarounds and, and come up with the, mo- the loosest definition of a pod to get them in. Like the pod, <laughs> we're not really interested in a show. We're interested in inducting the movie. So <laughs> the pod is an excuse for that. <laughs> However we got to do it. It's like, yeah. it's like congressional like uh, policy, you know? <laughs> no, it's an honorary Oscar. That's all it is. Yeah. I mean, however you got to get the $15 minimum wage through. That's how you got to do it. You got to attach exactly. it to a stimulus package. You got to exactly. do it through reconciliation, whatever it takes. Um, here we go. Let's start with 1973's Paper Moon, my first nominee, directed by Peter Bogdanovich, starring Ryan O'Neill and Tatum O'Neill. Winner mm. of Best Supporting Actress for Tatum O'Neill. She was 10 years old. When she accepted this trophy, making her the youngest Oscar winner of all time. Still yes. to this day, that record stands. Also nominated for Best Supporting Actress, Madeline Kahn picks up a nomination there. Yep. Adapted screenplay and sound. During the Great Depression, a con man finds himself saddled with a young girl who may or may not be his daughter. And they for- and the two forge an unlikely partnership. Yep. Um, this is... The one Peter Bogdanovich movie I had seen before watching The Last Picture Show and What's Up Doc a year ago. And I am now under uh, the belief that Peter Bogdanovich has made three perfect movies. Um, And I I think I actually might rank this one third. Whoa. And it's really weird because I adore it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And it is among, I think, my top 50 movies of all time. But yeah, I think just like pound for pound, those first two movies are goddamn perfect, man. Yeah. I mean, I this one just gets me, though. I mean, I, I think it's my favorite. <laughs> it's the first uh, Bogdanovich film that I saw with me. I saw this uh, a while ago. I don't even remember how long ago I saw it. And then I saw it a couple times since. And it's wonderful. Uh, I, I, I put this one above, uh, what's up doc, but it's, it's very close with the last picture show. I'll give you that. Um, yeah, it's like, just like the greatest road movie I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I just love everything about this movie's heart (laughs) and I love uh, the casting is just so utterly perfect. It's some of my favorite casting in a movie. Yeah. Um, (laughs) of course this is a a beloved performance from Tatum O'Neill and the fact that I think she's there with her father helped a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, word on the street is that Peter Bogdanovich just wore her into the ground during this movie. <laughs> and it's just like, we're going to do 50 takes and you are going to get it 100% perfect. And, you know, that's often the case when you have like an incredibly young actress slash actor at the center of your movie. She's basically a co-lead in this movie, even though she yeah. won supporting actress. You know, I, I think about Beasts of the Southern Wild, another movie where like there was, I think, a six-year-old, Convention A. Wallace at the center of that thing. Never Often it. it is a feat. It's an awesome movie. I love that movie. Although some people not so much. It It is often a feat of direction rather than a feat of acting when someone that young is so good. But Tatum O'Neill just does none of like the cute kid thing. She's an asshole. Yes. No, no. She's, she's, and it's not a brat. Like that's the thing. Like I, I could see some people watching this and thinking Tatum O'Neill is just an annoying brat. Mm. I, 
you'd have to be a real idiot to say that. But, you know, there's every opinion under the sun out there. There, There's definitely people out there that would be like, she's a fucking brat in the movie. Mm. Uh, No, she's an asshole along with her dad. (laughs) (laughs) There's a difference. (laughs) She's a very convincing asshole along with him. But they are just so complimentary with one another. Mm. And they don't seem that way at first. But like by by the time she gets to you still owe me $200, it's just like the sweetest and funniest, but also like most heartbreaking thing in a lot of ways. Oh, like it, were, it brings a tear to your eye. And it's yeah. crazy. Like that line is, you know, not the most sentimental. It's not mm-hmm. like, you know, a father and daughter sharing a tender moment, but it feels that way. And it's all because of the performance. You're 100 percent right. Yeah, exactly. Take note, Christopher Nolan, if you ever make Interstellar 2. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, don't tease me, Adam. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's see what McConaughey's doing, what he's up to after the Dust Bowl has passed. Interstellar 2, Cooper and Murph. Oh, yeah. boy. Let's oh, go boy. back to space. Oh, my God. Let's enter that... some dark holes with McConaughey again. I thought that sometimes when watching Interstellar. I'm just like, fuck, he doesn't know what he's doing. Like, <laughs> it just like it, he was trying to pull from Paper Moon a lot of the time, but like it's failing so miserably. You're and so I hate wrong. every second You're of so it. You're so wrong, but it's all right. No, I'm actually so right. <laughs> Speak for yourself, man. <laughs> Dude, the scene where he's watching the video call, it's, it it's sucks. like, it, fuck you. Okay. I wish it worked, but it's, but hey, I didn't care. I didn't give a fucking shit about those characters. So good for you. Good for them for crying at nothing. Um, <laughs> Man, you always figure out a way to work Nolan in, don't you? <laughs> I love doing it. I you love just doing always it. figure out a way to just work a jab in at Nolan. <laughs> it's the best. It's, it's my crazy. thing. It's, what did that it's guy ever do to you? I don't know. <laughs> You're like you won't understand this. You're like Skip Bayless trying to get a LeBron James jab in every now and again. It's like Skip. The story is not about LeBron James. <sighs> We're not even talking about basketball. Why are you bashing LeBron? The issue here, Nico, is that I actually wrote Batman Begins. I wrote it when I was a kid. And he stole it from me. <laughs> I just loved Batman so much as a kid. I had this perfect idea. Tatum is not doing a Shirley Temple thing here. There is none of that like theater kid earnestness. And that's what's so beautiful about it. And I think that's also what you get when your dad is an actor. Yes. And has worked within the Hollywood system. It's like y- you're not like spending time with like other eight-year-olds in theater camp. Like you are often on set, you have seen your dad work, and it's in your blood, it's in your bones. Now, along with that, you get a lot of like his demons and his baggage, and that's yep. why we've heard many stories over the years about Tatum O'Neill's various drug addictions and uh, you know stories behind the scenes in this movie and how her relationship with her father has often been strained. But mm-hmm. you also get what is the, I think, most authentic eight-year-old performance in the history of cinema in this book. God, I mean, what the the only like maybe an, a Natalie Wood performance, but yeah. even still, it doesn't it doesn't land the same way this one does because it doesn't have that built-in like history that Tatum has with her father. Mm-hmm. So Anna Paquin, it, it, you know, has has a performance like that. Got nominated for an Oscar. She won the Oscar. Oh yeah, she won it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, did Natalie Portman win for uh, for Leon? No, 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 no. It was nominated though, right? Might have been nominated, yeah. Another great performance. Just a weird role. Uh, <laughs> I think this is the best one, though. Yeah, I, I, I think like a lot of that built-in hostility comes through, and I don't think the performance would have worked half as well without it. Um, but, but that's the movie. You know, This is not, not one of those instances where I'm going to say, oh, without these characters, the movie doesn't work. It's like, no, the whole movie, 
are is it is these characters. Right. <laughs> it's it's entirely dependent on their journey together, and it's really beautiful and sincere. And j- like you said, just the, the camaraderie between these people is just so funny, and and just and just aggressive at times. And I can't get enough of it. I never really know like what each consecutive scene is going to be like because she's always just kind of a thorn in his side, mm. but she sticks around anyway. I mean, literally, that's kind of what it is by the end of it. <laughs> mm. I don't want you hanging around with me no more. It's like. Yeah, fuck you. I'm hanging around. <laughs> sure. It's great. Yeah. They deserve all the credit. I don't think actually enough credit, though, goes to Peter Bogdanovich for this directorial job. Um, this is this is such like a dead Western movie to me. It is so like tied to the era. It is like mm. such a depression movie, just like yeah. middle of nowhere, bad economy movie. Um, and you know, it doesn't get in the way of the story and that's, what's sort of cool about it. It could have been set during any time, but the time period just adds like this whole layer of texture to it mm-hmm. and just sort of complements the story. Doesn't take it over. Doesn't like assert itself. Nope. Um, but the direction is just really good. It, it, I think Bogdanovich is known as like a great writer. Obviously he was a former film critic and he gets a lot of credit for that. And also working with actors, he gets great performances out of all of his actors, but he's also just like a really good shot composer. Yeah. And there are so many just like great shots in this movie. I, did I tell you the story that I heard about uh, when he was on the set of Last Picture Show and he was filming that fight the sequence? Fight yeah. Right. And he shot it in little snippets and it was confusing the producers. Right. Rather than just having a multicam setup. And yep. uh, it, it like, yeah, when when the producers saw the dailies of that sequence, it's like, this is never going to work. But he was seeing it in its final form. And that's yep. somehow, you know, sometimes how great filmmakers see their fight sequences rather than like, say, the J.J. Abrams of the world who just like film a million different angles and just <laughs> figure it out in post. Yep. Uh, and it's similar here. Like there is such like specificity to the shot yep. selection. I think about that shot of when Ryan O'Neill is handing the the teller that twenty dollar bill that has mm-hmm. the birthday note written on the back, that little scam that he runs in like the convenience store and just that close up on the 20 where you're like, Oh, this is signifying that this $20 bill is meaningful to what's about to happen here. I don't know how yet, but I mm-hmm. trust that Bogdanovich is going to unspool this thread in a satisfying way. And yeah. there are so many awesome shots like that in the movie, just playing around with point of view, playing around with, you know, like dead on camera versus like, slightly askew camera yep. um and he's just like a really good editor too that's the other thing like it it just edits together so seamlessly mm-hmm. um really like one of the most underrated directors of the 70s and like all of his movies have such choice have such intentionality to them i was talking we were talking about this off pod uh, uh, like I think in one of the last podcasts we did and how important something like that is to me personally and how I just I can't stand it like if I'm dealing with people who are working on a movie and it doesn't seem like there's any intentionality to the shots. Mm-hmm. Movies, I'm sorry, but they're always, always better when the shot you're going for when you're shooting a movie feels like the only shot you could have possibly have chosen. Mm. It doesn't even, I mean, and you could talk about that a lot, like, like, you know, there are people who who would argue like no there's a thousand different ways you can do it and maybe that's true but your instinct is really all you have so you have to commit to it as if this is the only thing you could have possibly done in that moment and yeah like like everything about this movie's considered <laughs> i like what you just said about the shot selection because it's absolutely true you know particularly with like the Tatum O'Neill shots where they're eating the Coney Islands mm. and just the, the the very specific choices he 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 
he uh, uh, Bogdanovich chooses to cut into her reactions to just getting fed up with this guy. Mm. And how she's not even listening to really anything he's saying. It's just like, you owe me money. <laughs> mm. And the movie's kind of reminding you, like, roping back around to, you know, his bullshit to her being like, you still owe me money, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. It's just great. It's it's funny. It, this is really also like an editing conversation. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, true, true. You know, I, I think there was a point where Hollywood was, and, and movies were considered just like uh, filmed theatrical productions. Like we're going to mm-hmm. set it on a soundstage and we're not going to move the camera that much. And this is just going to be a way to capture what we understand as like traditional theater. As it evolved, I think we figured out editing that yep. you can cut and mm-hmm. that you can move the camera and that you can play around with perspective. And it, obviously, like, it's an artistic choice, but often it's just a choice to keep the audience's attention. Mm-hmm. And I think now, particularly, like, late 90s, early 2000s, and certainly in the blockbusters of, like, the 2010s, it's just become too easy. And it's become sort of like a lazy way of keeping audiences' attention. And not only have we lost the art form on, like, a budgetary level, yeah, but we've also like like it. It feels like those in the know don't understand what good editing is like anymore. Like I think about the fact that Bohemian Rhapsody won the Oscar for best editing, and it was by far and away the worst edited movie I had seen that year. <laughs> I was watching the Deacons pod or listening to the Deacons pod, and they had Joe Walker on, who's edited all of Denis Villeneuve's films. And based on the timing when the movie came out, he's like, I just saw this movie. It came out last year. I don't want to pull out any names here but i just thought it was the worst edited film i'd ever seen that year yeah <laughs> it's like no like you, you like there's too much like no one has any patience with their shots anymore <laughs> i'm it's, just like it's yes. beyond that it's it's unmotivated cutting yes 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 i yes. know we're getting too film schooly here but it, th- there are so many choices particularly in bohemian rhapsody it, and i just saw it in a movie a couple months ago the little things which mm. is like a you know pretty average crime movie, which is like pretty poor craft all around, and that's sort of like the the problem with that movie. It you're cutting for no reason, and I think in the seventies, like we really hit our sweet spot. We really yeah. hit like the sweet spot of film editing, and we've never recovered. We really haven't. You see something like Paper Moon, every single cut is motivated. Every yes. cut makes sense, mm-hmm. and it's never boring. They never right. hold too long. They never hold too short. It's just perfect. They just and, know what to cut on. Yeah. It's very, very important. Like you said, just like so specific and, and considered. And I, yeah, I, I love that. I think even Joe Walker s- said unmotivated cuts. Now mm-hmm. that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. I, but it, the big problem is also, like like you said, like like being very, very specific with your shots means that you're not doing a lot of coverage, mm-hmm. which, I mean, coverage can be a good thing depending on what you're filming, but... Uh, it's sort of an, an over-reliant tool now. And honestly, only the best directors can get a, get away with it. Like Fincher can do it, but mm-hmm. that's that's such a technical guy that it, it like he usually knows what to cut on anyway. He right. wouldn't need to do a lot of coverage. So, yeah, I, 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 pick, I think of like the Olivier Megatons of the world who are just filming, you know, Liam Neeson in Taken 2 and 3, and God only knows what the fuck that's about. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it just drives the studio nuts when you don't yeah. film coverage. I mean, they see the dailies yeah. and they're like, how are we going to salvage this if it doesn't work in the cut? You know, like, how how are we going to make this work? We're going to have to hire a, this, the, a new crew. We're going to have to get the actors back. We're going to have to pay everybody time and a half. And it's going to be a financial disaster. It's a financial consideration more than anything. And I get it. But you have to have a plan. 
Yes. When you're on set, you have to have a plan. And there are just too many filmmakers now of the J.J. Abrams school of thought where it's Mm -hmm. like, we're just going to get on set, figure it out in post and just get done by lunch. And it's like films is not supposed to be made that way. I know we're getting on our soapbox here. It must sound (laughs) insufferable. It just makes you feel like half the stuff you shot that day doesn't matter. Right. right? And it's true. Oftentimes it doesn't. Because yeah, because because you have no idea of what you just shot was actually going to be used. Yeah. It's like, did you know Deacons had trouble getting jobs because he only shot with one camera and he still shoots with one camera today? I buy it. I because buy he's it. like he's like, no, there's one shot for this moment. Stop overthinking it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I totally buy it. Yeah, hundred percent. Um. Anyway, okay. Uh, enough of that. Paper, Paper Moon's, Moon's a great movie. It's fucking wonderful. It's amazing. <laughs> and <laughs> Peter Bogdanovich shows that he's a fucking genius. What do you want? Yeah, it's awesome. Um, the the title, Paper Moon, um, it, it was not the name of the book. The, the book was called uh, Allie. Is that her name? Annie? Allie? What's her name in the in the movie? Tatum O'Neill's character. Allie Ploy? Know. Something like that? Allie Ploy? Maybe. Allie, Allie, Allie Ploy? Right. Uh, let me look it up real quick. It's funny. Um, I just brought up David Fincher. This is one of his favorite movies. Oh, there you go. Addie Prey. Addie, yeah, 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 okay. Addie Prey is her, her character's name in this. That was what the book was called. Bogdanovich was listening to this song called Paper Moon when he was in development for the movie. And he's like, oh, I like that title. And so he just changes the title to Paper Moon, goes to Orson Welles, is like, do you like the title? He's like, the title is so good, you shouldn't even make the picture, you should just release the title. <laughs> So he's convinced we're going to go with this title. They end up shooting that scene of Tatum O'Neill getting the picture taken on top of the moon just to justify the title. That was added after they developed the title. Wow. Um, But it is just like a phenomenal title that is like weirdly touching. And it's just like so poignant, even though it doesn't really have anything to do with the movie. I mean, thematically, you're right. Like in a a plot sense, it has so little to do, but thematically very and very very important for that for that particular relationship it's just a moment i just love it when a movie kind of hangs on a little moment like that mm. and that's all you need it's just beautiful uh and there was a tv series that came out the following year starring there christopher was? Connolly and jodie foster a young jodie foster lasted for half a season and then was promptly canceled um but it, it does like beg the question are they going to remake this thing again because i'm kind of afraid that like you know, one of these days, The Rock wants to do it with his son. The Rock? Or uh, whoever it is, you know? The Rock's not going to do this. <laughs> Who could do it? Who could actually do it? I don't know. That has like a young kid? I mean, I mean Denzel could have done it with John David Washington when he was a young kid. Sure, sure. I mean, I could see Richard Linklater doing this, but that would be funny because Richard Linklater already remade a movie that Tatum O'Neill stars in. <laughs> and it wasn't right, that great. Right, exactly. So, oh, my God, that new Bad News Bears is yeah. awful. Yeah. It's brutal. So. Uh, that's Paper Moon, 1973, one of my favorites. Yeah. I don't know why we didn't nominate it that year. What year uh, was it? 73. So I think yeah, The Exorcist think. won that year. It was a pretty stacked list, if I recall. But Yeah, that, that it must have been, because I, re- I think that's the year of The Sting as well. Right. So, yeah, there were a lot of movies I remember. I th- mean Streets, that- I think. Oh, God, yeah. It's just one of those gray years where it's like, oh, these other movies, it just kind of squeaks it out. It's too it's bad. A, it's the 70s. Yeah. All right. Next, 1992's The Player, one that I just saw for the first time a few weeks ago, as a matter of fact. Directed by Robert Altman, starring Tim Robbins, Greta Sacchi, Fred Ward, Whoopi Goldberg, and Vincent D'Onofrio. Yep. And I'm just listing the people that played characters. <laughs> Nominated for Best Director, 
adapted screenplay and film editing at the Academy Awards did not win any of them. Uh, yeah, it, it is a shame um, because Altman just absolutely kills it here. Yeah. A Hollywood studio executive is being sent death threats by a writer whose script he rejected. But which one? Should yeah. I list all of the celebrity cameos? No. <laughs> No, because all of Hollywood is in this movie. There is a there. There, Jack Lemon does nothing in this movie. It doesn't say a word. He just sits on a piano and plays it for about thirty seconds, and that's his role in the movie. Please don't list all all of the cameos. I will list the notable ones. Okay, as themselves. All right. Steve Allen, Harry Belafonte, Karen Black, Michael Bowen, Gary Busey, Robert Carradine, Cher, James Coburn, John Cusack, Peter Falk, Louise Fletcher, Terry Garr, Scott Glenn, Jeff Goldblum, Elliot Gold, Richard E. Grant, David Allen Greer. We're only at the G's. Buck Henry, Angelica Houston, Jack Lemon, Marley Matlin, Malcolm McDowell, Martin Mull, Nick Nolte, Burt Reynolds. Julia Roberts, Susan Sarandon, Rod Steiger, Lily Tomlin, Robert Wagner, and Bruce Willis. There you go. Didn't even list them all. No. And as you said, most of the time, these guys are just like in the background of a shot. (laughs) Just like drinking coffee. It's all of Hollywood. He just just walked onto a film set. Or or, you know what? He was up on the hill, up on the Hollywood sign with a giant ass megaphone. And it's like, who wants to be in my movie? (laughs) Oh. Oh, everyone wants to be in my movie. Oh, shit. All right. All right. Everybody's in it. And we all got to pay you scale. So, <laughs> you know, it's just going to run up the budget to to, to no end. Um, yeah, it, it's crazy. I was watching one of uh, Robert Altman's interviews for Criterion when they were doing the Criterion edition of this. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, it was really hard to get like jeff goldblum and burt reynolds to just sit in the background for take after take after take most of these actors don't have speaking lines in the movie and are getting paid a very small amount of money to essentially be a prop they're all props in this movie they're just there to add texture Mm -hmm. uh and it really is hilarious just (laughs) like the 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 excess you know The, the just the pure excess on screen here um but it is hilarious. This is a hilarious movie and one that I just wish I had seen so much earlier because it is destined to be one of my favorites as well. It's a little darker than I expected it to be, though. It's like a cheeky Hitchcock film. Mm. That's the best way I can describe it. It's very strange. I, I think I went into it expecting it to be sort of a broad comedy. I wouldn't go that far. It's funny, but like not at all in the way that I expected it. Like it's... It does get pretty like psychologically intense, especially for Tim Robbins towards the end. Oh, yeah. When he's basically pushing away his girlfriend and he just looks like a nutcase. Oh, when he's in that cold sweat behind his yeah. desk or on the couch. It's crazy, yeah. And it's just like the most cynical movie I've ever seen. My yeah. God. It's just not, it just doesn't really care at all. And I love how the movie is riding on like the mystery of this guy threatening him. And the payoff to that is just the, the simplest thing i've ever seen it's just like it, it it's almost an afterthought and that's kind of why it's funny <laughs> the ending is really cool for that yeah. reason it's totally anticlimactic and it's yep. just really sort of tacked on as like a a, a, a like a denouement like just like as yeah. an epilogue um but yeah the guy calls him and is like uh, hey i got a pitch for you and it's <laughs> the movie that we had just watched for the last two hours and it it's like this cool thing about like how any tragedy can be mined for parts 
in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like any any story is susceptible to an adaptation, no matter how grisly the details are. Yep. Um, and yeah, it, it is just such a bitter, yep. uh, cynical satire about Hollywood and was directly inspired by Altman's just hatred for the studio system and how Hollywood sort of cast him aside for most of the 80s because his movies were not making a ton of money and uh, didn't really fit the mold for the no. types of films being made in the 80s. But then he comes back with this one in the 90s and it's like, oh, yeah, Hollywood is once again welcoming you. And it really kicks off this awesome back half of his career. Um, but it, it is an incredible comeback movie. And also just like I just love a movie about Hollywood and I specifically love a movie that hates Hollywood. I was gonna say I like the right movies about Hollywood. It de- it sort of depends on how you play with it. I like it when Hollywood is in the periphery, mm-hmm. and I like it when uh uh like a filmmaker is just just ripping it apart. Mm-hmm. That's when it's kind of fun. Um, when it reels in Hollywood is when it starts to get a little annoying to me. Mm. Um, there's only like a few like exceptions though. Like I I do love La La Land, of course. I do too. That, right. That's but that's a big like yo hell yeah Hollywood's the shit. I'm supposed to hate that movie though. Yeah. You know, but it's I don't. Just, I don't know why I'm so wrapped up by it. Yeah, no, I think it's a a, a pretty masterful movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's really amazing. It's one. No, of my I to- I totally get why people hate it too. That's yeah. the thing. Like, I totally understand all of the criticisms of that. But yeah, by the end of it, I just have a tear in my eye, and I'm like, the magic of film. It's not really just about the magic of film. Though. I mean, it's it like kind it, of is. Yeah, well, not with that last shot. It goes much deeper than that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, like, as <laughs> I guess if anybody's going to give, like, a fuck you to, to Hollywood, this is, you know, l- let it be Robert Altman, though. Sure, sure. Like, this, this is really, this is really, really great. I also just love, like, like, sort of, I don't know about how you felt about this, but it sort of reminded me of, like, old Hollywood, the way he was portraying it. Mm-hmm. It didn't, I mean, because there are, stars in this movie that like came up in the 80s and the 90s or 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 when was this actually made 92 okay yeah so it doesn't feel like a 90s movie to me at all as a matter of fact it feels more like a 70s film that's about 50s era hollywood Mm. so so it like the whole thing has like this like like aura of like anachronism to everything that's going on uh, but I actually think that's really smart because old Hollywood sucks. <laughs> yeah, that, that is kind of interesting. Yeah, it kind of does feel like, um, like strangely unmarried to when it was released. Yeah. I, I, it no, it really does. Like even to the filmmaking. I mean, mm. the, the the shot selection feels very seventies to me. To even just like the zooms that he's doing a lot of the time is mm. not very characteristic of the nineties at all. Right. You know, n- this should feel like Reservoir Dogs. It doesn't feel anything like that. Right. And that so. is Altman's style, but it yeah, it but it still does feel like weirdly poignant. Like it, yeah. it it doesn't feel like this goes out of style. In fact, Paul Thomas Anderson has been proving for the last 30 years that this style does not go out of style. Nope. I mean, <laughs> the first shot of this movie is so boogie nights. Oh my god. It is ridiculously <laughs> boogie nights. <laughs> I thought that too. I was like, holy shit. It's it's been taking me a while to see it, but it's like, okay, the uh, uh Paul, yeah, I, I see why you love Altman so much. Yeah. Here it is. Here it is. This actually felt the most like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie of all of the Altman movies I've seen. Just sure. in the way the camera moves, but also the score. Like there is a booming score to it this. It is. It's like dreadful, isn't it? Yeah. Reminded me a lot of Punch Drunk Love in that way. Like it yeah. is. It it assaults you, this fucking score. A lot of like bass drum, just like a lot of just like really full sounds to it. Yeah. Um, drowns out the dialogue a lot of the time. 
and yeah, that opening shot, it's like, oh God, I, I feel like I've seen this movie before. Yep. Um, but then you add on top of that this incredible comedy when Buck Henry is there pitching the graduate too. Oh my uh, god, it's so Robbins. funny. It's so funny. <laughs> Here's the thing. This is what Altman said though. These were real pitches. Really? This is a pitch that <laughs> Buck Henry actually drew up, never got made, of course. And I think I forget who uh the writers were that pitched the out of Africa meets pretty woman movie. <laughs> But apparently that was a, a real pitch as well by actual screenwriters who had uh, yeah drawn something up. And this apparently was not good enough. Some of it was played up, but there is a lot of authenticity to this movie. Oh, you can feel it, too. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing that makes it so like 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 freaky is because like I, you, you buy basically every pitch that goes through, mm-hmm. even if the, it is silly. It's like I could see crazy people giving this uh, a go. And even like the good pitches, I'm like, I can see someone passing it up, mm. which is the most unfortunate thing about like these stories in general yeah i uh it it, it, this hmm trying to like like square the movie in terms of like my feelings towards it though like next to like mash because it does feel a lot like mash with its sense of humor but also just its cynical nature on what it's talking about Mm -hmm. it's a good it's a good like companion piece in some ways to that one yeah uh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, Altman is, is I think, just like naturally a, a little turned off by his characters, but it doesn't mean he doesn't love them. No, no, you know? I, I agree. Like th- this, this movie's disgusting, though, is the yeah. thing. Like, yeah. it's just really like, like filthy. Like, like I said, like the fact, the fact that alluding to what you said before, like, like when I was talking about how it feels like a 50s era movie or Hollywood feels like 50s era Hollywood. I just love how he's basically saying that that never really dies. <laughs> it's still like, like it's it's still carried on now and it still has like a lot of the relationship to what it was back then um there is a timelessness to it like even long after like the hollywood system is dead and that movies are no longer the predominant art form in this country maybe even past this country's existence like we still understand idiots that are the boss of us you know, yeah. we we understand like incompetent people in positions of power. That's always going to be sort of a universal thing. And I think like that's why movies like this and Barton Fink work so well. It's oh, like, God. even if you're not a screenwriter, you do understand having a bad boss and you do understand the frustration of having to do your job well in the face of incompetent bosses. And, you know, these people and, you know, people like this get away with it, too. That's the yeah. other problem. Hundred yeah. percent. No, it's like as like absurd as the movie can be and it can be kind of absurd. It's just. It's totally authentic. I completely mm-hmm. agree. By the way, relating to the Paul Thomas Anderson music, the sex scene and the music in the sex scene Phenomenal. is it it wow. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, th- there are just so many great scenes in this and just they pepper it with cameos. Um mm-hmm. it, it's the type of movie that only Robert Altman could have made, really, just in scope and in the access to these actors like sure. i'm not sure how many directors could have pulled in this deep bench of of actors um and yeah it's specifically about a subject matter that frustrates the hell out of robert altman um i i don't know another director that could have made it and i think that's like the greatest praise i can heap on it now it's time for you to see mccabe and miss miller i need to do it still think it's my second favorite of his movies damn what's number one mash mash is number one i love okay. mash got it yeah, it's uh, it's close for me. I don't know. I think this might be my number one. I, I mean, it's definitely the most Nico movie. Of the no, movie. I was gonna say you, you, this. I I have trouble seeing anything topping this one. This is very you, very yeah. very you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it's a fine answer too. Like like, there's not much that this movie really does wrong. Right. 
And yeah, again, just that ending is so great. I just love that ending. It's so, I was like, oh my God, movie. Whoa. Well, thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you for uh, uh, making me realize that I don't ever want to work in Hollywood. <laughs> By the way, next time we do this uh, dealer's choice thing, I will be nominating California Split. Oh yeah, that's an- another one must, of his. You must see. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a gambling podcast. What do you think? Oh, about like movies about gambling? Yeah. Okay. That's your call. I can't I can't really make that decision. That's that's my subgenre, you know that. Yeah. We did I talk mean, rounders already though, but Yeah, we did. It's never a bad time to talk rounders. No. Well, oh, you <laughs> want to talk about rounders again? <laughs> I like rounders. Rounders is cool. Finally, for me at least, yes. The Limey from 1999, directed by Steven Soderbergh. Starring Terrence Stamp, Louise Guzman, and Peter Fonda, Mm. an extremely volatile and dangerous Englishman goes to Los Angeles to find the man he considers responsible for his daughter's death. Coming full circle here, Adam. I uh, introduced you to this movie when we first met, and you're finally doing it. What'd you think? It's really dope. Yeah. Isn't it really dope? It's like the, I was, I said in my review, it's the very definition of a hidden gem. Hmm. That's that's like that is what it is. F- little aside about Louis Guzman, uh, my brother ran into him during a concert. <laughs> Called Which him concert? Gu- I don't remember what the concert was. I don't. His, I think his son plays in a band. It's like a like a like a pop punk band or something like that. Got it. Um, he called him Guzman, and he just like he <laughs> he passes by my brother. My brother turns around, and he's just like Louis Guzman, and then he walks away. <laughs> And Louis turned around, and was like, "What? Who was that? <laughs> didn't didn't see my brother." <laughs> Sounds like a fucking Simpsons character, <laughs> yeah. Louis Guzman. It does, doesn't. It? <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, I love that story. It's one of my favorites. Uh, man, but that any- guy was just in all the '90s movies, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's pops up every once in a while now, but yeah, just. He just feels like the most lovable teddy bear dude. Yeah. I just love that actor. He's in so many of those fucking Soderbergh and PTA movies. That's right, yeah. And he's in everything. Or at least in the 90s he was in everything. He was in Magnolia, in Boogie Nights. Is he ever in a Coen Brothers film? I feel like he'd be well suited for one of their characters. That's a good question. Carlito's Way he was in. I'm not sure he ever did a Coen Brothers movie. Damn. He should be in a Tarantino and Coen Brothers movie, though, hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but no, to to answer, yeah, keep going down that little rabbit hole. Yeah, this this was a yeah. Well, I think it was well, well worth the wait. I'm not crazy about the film's ending, uh, but other other really? than that, yeah, I, I like the very moment it ends on with Terrence Stamp playing the guitar. Uh, I I think the resolution is a little too convenient, if you ask me. Hmm. Uh, however, poetic, it's nice. It's just. It 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 starts quickly. It kind of ends quickly too. And I'm like, oh, like that could have landed harder if you had spent a little more time with it. But uh, are you talking about the that, specific choice to spare the guy's life? Sort of, yes. But also, like, why he spared his life and felt like you know, like blaming himself a little bit. Contrived, and, maybe. And little, yeah. It was like I needed a little bit more than that personally. Mm-hmm. I like I get it, but I don't get it. If that makes sense. Okay. Because uh, I really uh, like the ending. That's actually one of the reasons why I love the movie oh, so really? much. Is it felt yeah. like a really clever subversion of a lot of tropes. 
I was open to that though. Like watching, I was like, there is a version of the story that works very well for me. Like if he doesn't kill the guy, because I kind of like Peter Fonda's character. Yeah, he is strangely likable. <laughs> Isn't he interesting that, yeah, like, I was, like, waiting for for me to, like, I was waiting for the movie to convince me that I should really despise this villain, and I actually never quite got there. I kind of like this this guy. <laughs> I mean, he's he's an asshole. He's a piece of shit, obviously, because he kills the daughter, but, like... Evil record executive, certainly. Yeah, like, I, I, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> I see where you're coming from. <laughs> That's not true. But he's but, got uh, that Peter Fonda charm, man. He's got that juror number eight charm. Yeah, yeah. It's just it. It's just an awesome cast too. By the way, uh, I th- I think that this movie lives and dies on the shoulders of. Was Terrence that Henry Stamp. Fonda or Peter Fonda in the fucking Twelve Angry Men? Because I just Hen- called them juror number eight. I'm not sure if what. Oh no, no Henry Fonda. Henry's in, in Twelve Angry Men. Yes, I get the Fondas mixed up all that, the time. Oh, no, that's okay. Apologies. Henry Fonda, Jane Fonda. Who knows? <laughs> who can tell the difference? Who can tell the difference? <laughs> Peter uh, Fonda's in Easy Rider. Yes. And he's okay. in this. Yes, yes. Okay. Good. Um, like I was saying, though, this movie um, is just Terrence Stamp for me. Mm. It's just, it's it's all Terrence Stamp, man. Every single second he's on screen is just the best I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> he is so damn charismatic. He really is. Oh, he He's a force of nature. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to cross paths with this guy. It's crazy. Brian Mills has nothing on this motherfucker. No. <laughs> Not even close, man. Yeah. Like where he comes out of the garage and says, you tell him I'm coming. It's like, whoa, he's a fucking dog. Right. <laughs> Holy shit. And he's in like his 60s. Yeah. That's he's the so old. Thing. Like when, when Peter Fon is shooting at him on the beach, he's not even reacting to the gunshots going off. It's crazy. Mm. This man freaked me the fuck out. <laughs> I, I think one of the through lines through all three of my nominees is that these are directors that clearly love old films and that understand film tropes and yep. play around with them in really unique ways. Like Peter Bogdanovich loves con man movies and he yep. was able to say some interesting stuff, not only about the relationship between a father and a daughter, but also about the genre of con man movies in like the context of the great depression and how those two ideas sort of play off of each other. Like this, sure. I, this sort of like um, the need to scavenge up like as much money as you can because like the world is falling apart and mm-hmm. in this economy even being a con man is an honest living and in the player similar thing like altman is commenting not only on the hollywood system but also different genres he's like sort of weaving in and out of uh, you know a comedy and drama and crime and noir and it's also a movie about movies and the limey i i feel similarly similarly about it is a hitman movie about the hitman genre and yeah there are actually these scenes sprinkled in from a 1967 Terrence Stamp movie called yep. Poor Cow. And uh, th- those are used as sort of flashbacks. And I think that's very intentional. Like, this is not only a movie about this specific hitman, but also like the career of Terrence Stamp. I think Michael Caine was initially cast uh, and it was supposed to, you know, be sort of a commentary on Get Carter and the sort of like English hitman action star genre. Um, and this movie, it's just. It's kind of like the unforgiven of the hitman genre. I, I I can see that too. It feels smaller. 
than, than something like that. Like there's a weight to Unforgiven just with its level of importance, which, you know, it's it could be your thing, might not be your thing. You know, mm-hmm. I could see someone coming out of this and being like, no, that's all I really needed. I didn't need like a self-important story that Unforgiven kind of is. I think it's brilliant, but, uh, you know, I can see the, 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 the disconnect for certain people. Uh, I I definitely think this movie is quieter in a lot of ways, which is weird because the movie is so aggressive. Well, that's Soderbergh too, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just funky too. Yeah. So that's what I like about Soderbergh. It's just his movies are just really, really funky and vibrant, and just the strangest but most effective editing choices, mm. like the the intercutting between like when he's like interviewing or not interviewing but interrogating people and the way they're unveiling information to him is just so unique to me. Mm. You now it's like spaced out over time and gives a good sense of place and 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 how much time has passed and how much the investigation has been going on. It's just really, really, really clever filmmaking. The movie has yeah. a great sense of place. It is a phenomenal yeah. LA movie. Yes, it and is. And not just because it knows how to shoot LA, but it's also kind of about LA. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this idea that here's a bunch of guys in their 60s and 70s yeah. who are on the other end of the hill who are still defending whatever empire they've built for no other reason than responsibility and sure. also a hitman that is carrying out this revenge just because that's what he does. And it's in L.A. where it's just filled with guys in their 60s that think they're in their 30s. Oh, yeah. You know, that's L.A. It's just like guys on their last leg, try you know, plastic surgery, trying to cover up all the wrinkles, trying to just, you know, get in that one last hit film, that that one last uh, uh, shot at glory. And, um, you know, it, it's just it's a very layered movie for what is, I think, a pretty like simple story with a very simple, pretty yeah. basic execution. And that's like what I love about Soderbergh movies. Like there's a lot there if you look for it, but you don't need to look for it. You know, yeah, no, you don't have to if you don't want to mm. is the point. But like a lot of this movie just just lives in all those tiny little moments like where uh, Guzman. How do you say his name? Guzman? Lu- Guzman? Louise Guzman. Louise Guzman. Yes. Like when they go to that party and they're looking out over LA and he just says, you should be able to see the ocean, but you can't. Mm. <laughs> it's like a nice little like like metaphorical bit of dialogue dialogue for like the whole point. It's like, no, you've <laughs> you've turned this town into a total shit show. Mm. It's just garbage, you know, and it's all your fault. There's it doesn't matter how peace and loving you are. It doesn't matter if you came from the sixties. Doesn't matter if you're quote unquote noble hitman, <laughs> whatever that means. Sure. That's the great ir- irony to it all. You know, you've still created all these problems, which is why the ending makes perfect sense too, by the way, why it has earned that subversion. You know, I, I, I get why you would like it too. It's not something I, I come down on uh, all, all that much. For me, it just didn't quite hit the way I wanted it to, but it, it's a great idea on paper for sure. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, I love the idea of like the regretful hitman. Yeah, yeah. Blue I Ruin did. is another movie that sort of plays around with similar ideas. Dude, Blue 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 Ruin is like like low key one of the greater Hitman movies I've ever seen. It is a phenomenal movie. Yeah, it really like the is. The further I get away from that movie, the more it just like moves up. I think yeah. I put it like number 40 or something on my wow. end of decade list. Too wow. low. And I thought that was pretty high when I did it. But the more I reflect on it, I just think about like specific scenes in that movie and how great Macon Blair's performance is in it. Yeah. And uh yeah, that movie just rules, dude. Man. Oh, that, yeah, dude, that's another one. <laughs> Remember when I bought that in New York? <laughs> I saw yeah. it, I'm like, I need to have this movie. Yeah. It's such a good film. Because of you, we all have to die. Oh, great stuff. Just understands revenge movies. Understands yes. the subgenre so well. Um, 
phenomenal. Where, where's Sonier, by the way? What's he working on? Last thing he did was um, the a little bit of True Detective, I guess. Right. First two episodes of that season very two. mediocre season. Didn't see it. Yeah. So. Uh, Hold the Dark was a while ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking bizarre ass movie. We're due I, for another Sonya picture. I like Sonya. I was thinking about watching Green Room just the other night. Oh, Green Room's another one. Green Room rules, dude. It is the Adam movie. <laughs> it is so Adam. It's so... Me. Down to the I, fucking heavy metal band. I have told people, like, guys, if you want, like, the, like it, the movie I would love to make, like, to the point where it's uncanny, like, where you wouldn't notice the difference, it is Green Room. That's exactly the movie I would love to make. Rebel Ridge, a high-velocity thriller that explores systematic American injustices through bone-breaking action sequences. When is it not bone-breaking with Sonya? Suspense and dark humor. Starring John Boyega, Don Johnson, James Cromwell, and my boy James Badgedale. Whoa! My boy! (laughs) Holy shit. You love your James Badgedale. I love me some Badgedale! Have you seen The Pacific? Uh, no, I've seen Band of Brothers. I've not seen The Pacific, though. Oh, dude. How have not seen... He's, like, awesome in that movie. I mean, that show. <laughs> oh, I gotta see that. Damn. The Defection is an adaptation of a novel as well. That's also in pre-production. He's working on stuff. I love that song, yeah. Me too. Uh, all right, that's uh, that's the limey. Anything else you want to say about it? That title, by the way, refers to a slang term that Americans yeah. often call British people. Exactly, yeah. Because Terrence Stamp is very British in this. Yes, he's he's like the most British guy. I mean, that accent is so fucking heavy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I just want to comment on that Bill Duke scene. Oh, yeah, the Bill Duke scene. Bill Duke needs to be in more shit. I guess he <laughs> pops up all the time, but I fucking love Bill Duke. I agree. I agree. The, the most terrifying human being <laughs> with the sweetest voice you've ever heard. <laughs> Could not agree more. <laughs> Fucking lo- By the way, he has my birthday too. We share the same birthday. Well, that makes total sense. It's me, Bill Duke, and Johnny Cash. Hell of a trio. Holy shit. <laughs> Just the three voices of America, really. <laughs> when it comes down to it. Why, thank you. Just really represents the entire spectrum. The American male experience, those three. <laughs> I just want to, I want to see someone coming through a book like notable people who were born on February 26th. Bill Duke, okay. Johnny Cash, oh wow. Adam Hall. <laughs> you blew the it. fuck is that? You blew it. <laughs> All right, uh, here we go. On to your nominees. Yeah. I'm First up, Paths of Glory from 1957, directed by Stanley Kubrick. Starring Kirk Douglas and others, after refusing to attack an enemy position, a general accuses the soldiers of cowardice, and their commanding officer must defend them. That's uh, right. Short movie, very short. I I rewatched it last night, and I I thought I was like, all right, like I'm probably not going to watch all of this, and then I realized, no, I can watch all of this right now, and I'll scant. be perfectly awake. Yeah, fucking scant. Shorter than the limey. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I think it's less than it's like an hour twenty eight. Yeah, not even an hour and a half. Yeah, it's crazy how short this thing is. I was shocked when I saw the runtime. Might be the most shocking thing about this movie. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, one of Kirk Douglas's early hits. Uh, I think the killing was before this. He's not. Well, it's Kubrick's film, The Killing. Kirk Douglas isn't in that movie. 
What did I say? Well, you said the killing. Uh, uh, I meant to say Kubrick. Did I say Kirk oh, Douglas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Apologies. Uh, yeah, one of Kubrick's uh, early hits. Um, let me actually check the timeline on this real quick. Killing, yeah, Killing was 56. Killer's Kiss was 55. Fear and Desire was 53. Have you seen Fear and Desire? Apparently you can't track that thing down. No, I've seen The Killing. I haven't seen Fear and Desire, though. Apparently it's, like, impossible to find. Um, and then, yeah, Pads of Glory, 57. Spartacus is in 60. That's when he's, like, fully in studio mode. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is considered, like, his first masterpiece. Yep. And um, I can't believe I hadn't seen it until then. It's pretty kind of... It's actually shameful that I haven't seen it. Crazy. that I, uh, I, I've been telling you to see this one for ages. I think all the movies on my list, I've been, t- I've been like, imploring you, please watch them, dude. Like, definitely. The, one of them in particular. I, you know, honestly, the next two in particular, I just, like, Nico's just going to fucking love these movies. Yeah. There's no way he doesn't absolutely love these movies. Yeah, and we'll get to them. Uh, <laughs> definitely some incredible shots in this. Yeah. Like, it is uh, definitely Kubrick in... Like the the long takes and the pans, like it's all there. All the tricks are there. Yes, it wasn't quite in final form yet. It's interesting to see. Yeah, there are some fucking shots, like in the battlefield when they're like in no man's land the night before the attack, and the flare goes off and it just mm-hmm. lights up the dead bodies that you had not seen yep. before. Although that shot you'd been staring at for like the past five minutes, that's just like incredible filmmaking. Yeah, it is just it, everything that cinematography and lighting can do. It's done in that shot. You oh know? my god! No, I, this is movie so uncharacteristic of the time. Mm. I keep thinking it's just another one of those movies that just feels timeless to me, especially on rewatch. Like those dolly shots. I, I don't. It's not a dolly. I think they're on like a like a rolling like like vehicle. I, 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 I don't know what those are called, but essentially operates as a dolly, except it can go wherever it wants. Right. And when it's going through the trenches and just following the men, and it's cutting back and forth from Kurt Douglas to his perspective, and it's just just like the, the level of depth and, 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 and character and movement in that shot and just like the hopelessness to it. It's just so incredible to me. It's mm-hmm. it, like I said, just nothing like that is ever filmed. There's just nothing, nothing, nothing theatrical about it. It's purely cinematic. It's something like you can only get away with on the screen like that. And again, you watch a shot like that and you see entirely where 1917 gets a lot of its, its tricks. But, um, also, um, it just feels like platoon before platoon. Mm. This this whole movie, especially thematically, and just like the the cruel injustices of war, not just inflicted by like the other side or anything, but like what your own side will do to you. Fiercely yeah. anti-war was oh, criticized yeah. at the time for that. I think was banned in France, banned in Spain for several mm-hmm. decades because of that. Um, I understand why the French would not be so uh, fond of this movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, it just like. I felt like I learned so much about filmmaking while watching this. And yeah. I often feel that way with Kubrick. Like I'm just in a seminar and like, this is how you pour light through a window in mm-hmm. order to like elicit a specific emotion like that shot when they're in the prison at the end of the movie. And it's just, the light is pouring out. Um, but it's also like so dark on the inside. That contrast is gorgeous. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. It's it the just, entire point. Y- you learn like how cinematography, how ca- camera movement and how lighting can actually tell a story rather than just make it look good. Yeah. Um, and like, we've seen plenty of like people that know how to move the camera that just do it to make the movie look good. But Kubrick, just because he's the greatest filmmaker of all time, <laughs> understood how to put it all together. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just, it's masterful in that particular way. 
I did not expect this movie to just be a courtroom drama. <laughs> There's a side A, side B kind of quality to it. Yeah, certainly. It is a war movie at first, and you're definitely in the trenches, and you see some violence, and it's like Saving Private Ryan-esque, at least in that one battle sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the movie just shifts gears immediately, and it's like, yeah, we're going to turn this into a courtroom drama, and it's going to be a lot more existential, and there's going to be a lot of talking, much more talking than you are used to seeing in a movie like this. Um, and I think at first it sort of caught me off guard. and yep, I, I, I get that. Um, and j- it's just a matter of expectation and the fact that I haven't seen this movie my entire life. Uh, it I'm would give thinking. you whiplash. It would give anybody whiplash if right. they ever saw it. Yeah. And, you know, some of those scenes, because it's the 50s, are a little stiff and a little cold. And I think it's more a reflection on the actors and just the material. Um, but it's certainly a great movie nonetheless. And that ending packs like a crazy punch. I thought the talking scenes were much better this time around on rewatch. And a lot of that is just Kubrick's direction Mm. and how the camera doesn't like knows when to cut, but also when to like keep holding on a shot. And like very often, like those scenes would be very stagey, but like when, the, the shithead commander is talking with the other shithead commander in the opening scene. Just the way the camera like traverses through the tables and the chairs and goes mm. to the desk and knows when to, to hold on a camera uh, or an actor's close up to his medium. It's just like symphonic. Mm. I was just like I, I was just watching like the, the directorial moves this time. And I was like, oh, my God, my head hurts. It's so great. It's right. unbelievable how much Kubrick is doing behind the camera here. Mm. Um I th- I think uh, it, to to your point on the ending though it's there's this movie is not it, it's it's weird it's like a, it's super anti-war and it's bleak as hell but somehow it's not as cold as what Kubrick usually goes for and that ending is like one of the most uncharacteristic things about Stanley Kubrick I think I've ever seen <sighs> in some ways but not really though it's tremendously heartfelt. Yes, kind of, but not like this is I actually read about this in the Ebert review and he brought up a great point in this. It's kind of the inverse of that Casablanca scene where they're all singing in the restaurant and it's supposed to be like this patriotic sort of like uh, war song and like we're all in this together. It's like a show of camaraderie. This one plays a little different than that. You know, it's bittersweet. Yeah, there is a cynical nature to the circumstances leading up to that scene and yes. also the singing of this, the song. I mean, the fact that this German woman is singing the song and she is crying her eyes out on stage as this, like this, this uh, barbaric group of men starts screaming and cooing at her. That's how it starts though. But it's that's how not it how, start, it, it, but that's not how right. it ends. It's not how it ends, but it, it's, it's not, it's not quite like a rah, rah, look at us Frenchmen. No, fighting no. for a common good. There, there is like a there, there is a bitterness to it, and there is like a there's a there's a cynicalness there. Well, she basically, you know, like turns these animals back into men, and that's sort of mm. the hopeful spirit of it. And it's it's like this whole movie was just like failure after failure after failure. So it kind of earns the right to b- basically say like, despite all this horrible stuff you we, we've had to contend with, you know, we're. We're still human beings. There is humanity <laughs> under there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, and we can still show that we are humans despite, you know, the the the, the, the treachery we've committed or whatnot. Mm. Um, also, yeah, and I, again, I just don't think that's something like Kubrick ever did before. He never landed on that sort of like very human note. It's mm. by far like, again, comes from a place that's so dark but ends up being so very sweet to me. Mm. You know, and I just think it's incredibly powerful. It's one of my favorite endings he's ever had. Yeah, it, um, it is. It's certainly moving. It works 100 percent. 
played the woman by the way played by his wife i yeah i saw that actually the amazon uh the the whatever it's called the x-ray vision (laughs) to that interesting interesting yeah uh yeah it's uh it, it's it's awesome. I mean, it's a it, classic. It's a masterpiece. I I don't think I put it in top tier Kubrick. Where where do you rank it? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I have I have Kubrick ranked for me. It is in top tier. Oh my god. Yeah. I I like it more than The Shining. Honestly. So. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. No, I think it's see. That's the funny thing. I think it's like like clearly better than The Shining. Interesting. That, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh. But yeah. Where is my Kubrick list? Letterbox has been slow lately. It's been so. I think I slow. go Strange Love. One. All right, here Do it I is. go Shining Two? No, I go Clockwork Two. Cl- All right, let's see. Cl- Clockwork Two, Shining Three, Two Thousand One Four. God, I might go Full Metal Jacket Five. No, just because the first. I mean, the first half is better than anything in this movie, but maybe as I a disag- whole. See, I disagree with that. No. Okay. All right. No. No, I think what this movie also has to say is much more I- I- impactful to me personally. Okay, I'm a little little more universal. Uh, yeah, I mean I it's go, certainly not like the ending of of this movie is not Mickey Mouse Clubhouse marching through Vietnam. No, no, but that's the thing. Like Kubrick has so many endings like that, though, dude. That's yeah. that's the issue. Like so, like more than half of his movies feel like they, they they end on that just horribly bleak note. I mean, Jesus Christ, the ending of Eyes Wide Shut makes you want to kill yourself. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Like, certainly like, doesn't want you to get married. You know, no. It doesn't want to make you want to get married. <laughs> like, like just the fact that this movie ends on, yeah, right now we're totally in the shit, but there's hope. Mm. Like, that is like one of the most commendable things that Stanley Kubrick has ever done. To me, like the fact that he went there is 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 one of the more impressive feats of him as a as a as an artist because he rarely mm. ever does that. I just think it's beautiful. Okay. Um. Yeah, I go Strange Love one. Uh, Clockwork 2, Paths of Glory 3, and then I go The Shining, 2001, Lolita, Full Metal Jacket, Barry Lyndon, Spartacus. Lolita is not better than Full Metal Jacket. Stop. Yeah, I'm I'm there. I'm there with it. That's a fun Uh, movie. It's a fun movie, but that is in many ways, like, besides Spartacus, his most Hollywood movie. Like, that movie needs more teeth. Uh, I... Maybe <laughs> I think it works a little better than Full Metal Jacket. That Damn, problem, dude. Yeah, that that second half really does bring it down. There's, I just, I glean. I'm there's stuff there, but I glean very little from it. I actually took more away from Lolita. I'm like one of the only people that defends the back half of Full Metal Jacket, though. Well, I don't think it's bad. Like this is the thing. Like the problem is you're forced to talk about it relative to that first half, which is so brilliant. Yeah, it just it greatest it, short film of all time, really. Yeah. Yeah. It it really does pale by comparison. There's just it's it, I, I've never been able to to square that. You know, mm, I get it. It's a great movie. It's still a great movie. Don't get me wrong, but like, yeah, mm. uh, yeah. Then Spartacus, Eyes Wide Shut, and then The Killing. Mm. Okay, so I, yeah. I still got to do The Killing. Um, and I got I got to do I I have to do his first three movies essentially, but you you can't find them. Yeah, I know. it's hard to find Fear and Desire. He, he doesn't like that it. movie. No, yeah, he I don't hates think so. it. He hates, hates it. Or did hate it. Whatever. But what the fuck does he care? He's dead now. We can watch no. it, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Maybe he burned it all. Maybe he went full George Lucas on it and burned the original Prince of Star Wars. <laughs> Paths of Glory. What else do you want to say about it? It's one of your favorites. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. I just... I remember, like, on Rewatch 2, I was actually struck by how intense the battle sequence was as well. And just the, the visceral sense of place and how many movies feel like they're pulling from this one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, it I, I, eats 1917's lunch. This fucking movie. <laughs> 1917's great though, dude. I'm Stop sorry. It. Stop. It. It's a great movie. It's like my number two of 2019. <laughs> what was number movie. one for you? Waves. Oh, word. I had a, I had a weird list. <laughs> you love waves. I might put. Uh, uh, I, I'd, at this point, I probably put Parasite above um, um, uh, 1917, but I don't think it's better than Waves in my head. Wow, another yeah. side A, side B movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good podcast. We got to do that one of these days. There's only one answer. There's only one answer, right? It, it, it's from dusk till dawn, and there's no. <laughs> There's no question. I was going to say Psycho, but I guess from Dusk Till Dawn works too. <laughs> oh, yeah, Psycho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> We've already inducted Psycho. Oh, we did, didn't we? <laughs> I still think that's a cool topic, though. It is a cool topic, yeah. Because those are some of my favorite movies. I love it when a movie just changes halfway through. No, and that's part of the reason why this works so well for me is that like, it talks about the institution of war and mm-hmm. what that does to people and how like sometimes... like. All someone wants is for people to die. <laughs> it's just like the honor of dying is enough. And that was part of the issue with why World War II was such a disaster, just because so many people were happy to go and die. Japan especially didn't care. Right. You know, if we have to die to defend the country, that's more that that in a way is more noble than winning. It's, sure. it's no, fucking, the, the ending is so disturbing when the general is like saying, Oh, <laughs> they died so honorably. I've never oh seen a Never seen a ceremony quite like it before. It's just, it was, yeah, it was fucked up. It's psychotic. <laughs> yeah, for a movie like like this, like this is a Hollywood movie. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh my god, if I saw this, I'd be crushed back then. Yeah, no, it's crazy, definitely. And there's also that great conversation between the two soldiers before they go into battle the night before, and they're talking yeah. about how would you rather die, bayonet or machine gun, and how it's not really death that we fear; it's pain. Um, and, there's so I, much good stuff in this. But I love the ending of that. Like the coda to the moment is like, dude, I have no idea. All I know is that nobody wants to die. It's like, oh, yeah. movie. Brilliant. Sure. Yeah. So many great little conversations like so that. So ahead too, of yeah. its time. So ahead yeah. of its time, this one. Yeah. Uh, Pads of Glory. It's an American classic. You should see it. It's wonderful. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Next, 1959's The 400 Blows. Oh, boy. We're here. <laughs> we're Directed finally by here. Francois Truffaut. <laughs> Starring Jean-Pierre Laude, Claire Moyar, I definitely didn't say that right, Morier, Morier, and Albert Remy, nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Academy Awards, a young boy left without attention delves into a life of petty crime. Uh, I can't tell you what happens in this movie, because nothing really happens. It's just about a fucking kid who's having some problems growing up, so he steals some shit. And uh, eventually, like, there's like a clockwork orange thing that happens, but it's like a light clockwork orange. The consequences (laughs) aren't that high. You know, it's like if clockwork orange really didn't have that much to say about society. Uh, But it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I loved it, Adam. I loved it so. I loved it so. This fucking kid, Antoine. I just want to give Antoine a hug, dude. (laughs) it's like it's like if you want like most beautiful films in my catalog it's like this blade runner oh one stop of it. Come one off of kubrick's it. films come off it uh yeah dude like this this movie is insanely t- 
touching for me. It's like one of my more formative film experiences. It's like, oh, this is why film school is a thing. Oh, yeah. I get it. Right. If, if, if film school was built around just getting to the 400 blows, <laughs> it's, it's more than worth it. Right. God, I love this fucking movie. It's worth the the 50 grand he had to shell out for the fucking <laughs> undergrad. Um it's, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's just yeah, it's just so like like perfectly simple and restrained and meandering in all the like the correct ways and just like how every little like big moment in this movie is just a little moment. Mm. And it's just like I just got it, man. Like it's just about a, like like a kid who doesn't fit into any surroundings, but doesn't realize it until the very end of the movie. Like like really realize it, because a lot of the movie is like him like basically str- struggling by. He's like, all right, like I I I don't really fit, I guess. But what 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 other choice do I have? Mm. And then it just builds up to him being being like. No, fuck it all. I just need to get away from all of that and just free myself and from just this. And just run into run the ocean. away. Like, it's yeah. just incredible. God, I love that ending it's so, so much. It's so cathartic. It really is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's just like you, you're, you're, you're purified by the end of the movie. It's just beautiful. And, um, man, like, again, you see a lot of the obvious inspiration and in how this probably influenced. I mean, God, I like... Like I, I don't even know how many filmmakers like like drew from this one. I know Akira, even Akira Kurosawa loves this movie. Kurosawa references it. Woody Allen references it. Like, there's so many uh, directors of that era, seventies. Scorsese, of course, references yeah. it all the time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's a thing about these French New Wave movies. I, I've watched a lot of them now for this podcast, and it's been like a really cool education for me because I mm-hmm. I didn't watch a lot of them in college. Um, it, it it oftentimes is like you get it or you don't get it. Yeah, yeah. It's just, here's the vibe, here's the wavelength, either get on it or leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like I understand why, you know, when you or I rave about the French New Wave to, like, some normies, they'll be like, oh, God, you pretentious fucks, you. Um, but, like, here, there's just such a universality to this story. Like, I don't know yeah. who wouldn't get this. No, Exactly. How would you how would you not like how would you not want to spend more time with Antoine? He is such like a likable kid, but also like a loser that just can't catch a break. We all know that kid. We all grew up with the Antoine who like got blamed for shit he didn't do, lashed out at his mean parents, just bad break after bad break after bad break. And mm-hmm. this is apparently a very autobiographical movie. Francois Truffaut based a lot of the screenplay off of his real experiences and his real stepfather and how he used art, used film, used literature as like an escape yep. from the, the troubles of his youth. And uh, it just shows like there there is such like an authenticity to this story. Um, and you could just watch five hours of this. You really could. I could. Yeah, I really honestly could. We all see ourselves in Antoine, too, as well, by the way. Mm hmm. It's like, I, I don't know, I relate to a lot of these experiences. I don't have the same relationship with my parents, but in terms of, like, outside of my home, I definitely see a lot of myself in this character. Oh, yeah. You know? It's just, like, about someone who's just kind of lost, you know, mm. and just trying to figure it out. And it's it's particularly affecting because he's at such a young age, too, and just has no other choice but to just kind of be himself. But in being himself, it's like, it it just ruins his life. It's mm. just so sad, too. Right. I, I, I don't know. It... It just I don't know when I when I first saw that I was like like kind of deeply affected by it. it was one of the more like moving film experiences I had ever had, but I just I just love this the, the, this film's like again kind of just sense of place and how like you don't you don't need to show Antoine going to the carnival, but like 
God, I can't imagine this movie without him spinning around in that room. Oh, I, yeah. I, I can't imagine. Like, you're 100% right. What does that scene do for the movie? Nothing. 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 It's nothing. <laughs> it, okay. It, it does nothing for the movie. It does nothing for the story per se, but it does everything for the movie, if that That's makes true. sense. That's true. You ever been in one of those rides? No, I've been in like the modern version of those rides. Yes. I, I've been in that like exact ride before where it's like yeah. you can stand on the top and watch what's happening. Like it's like a centrifuge, essentially a human centrifuge. Yes. And you're in the middle and they drop the floor out and you stick to the wall and everything. Yeah. It is one of like those memories. And I understand why Francois Truffaut would have included it in a movie about his childhood. It's just one of those like really unique rides you go on. Like, how yep. is this a thing that they allow kids to go on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How is this a, a contraption that human beings have drawn up to use for recreation? Yeah. And there's just so much of that in this movie. Like, really? Like, you, you actually did that as a 12 year old? Yes, mm -hmm. I did. And for some reason, and it's an inextricable memory that I have to include in my screenplay. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much. There's so much like that in this movie. I feel like the entire, even just like the the stealing of the milk, which is something we don't understand. Mm. <laughs> but that, but that, that, I think my dad even has like stories of that as oh, a kid. Yeah. The milkman. Yeah. yeah, like like when you the milk wouldn't come on time, so you'd have to go to like a neighbor's house and like sna snag it or something like that. <laughs> like shit like that. How was the milkman a thing? Now that's a good question. Let's just stop for a second. The milkman. <laughs> when did the milkman stop being a thing? Why did we stop? Know. Was he spitting in the milk? I don't know. They still deliver the mail. I still get That's the newspaper if I want it. You think Why do I got to go to the grocery store for the milk? Also, just by the, by the satisfaction of having the glass milk bottles. Just like, mm. 100%. Leave it outside. Amazon is delivering, like, your toilet paper <laughs> through drones. Why is there in a milkman? I, Why is Amazon milk not a service that Bezos has blown $100 million on? I want to see Biden pass the milk bill. Yes. Let's pass the milk bill. Bring it back, Joe. <laughs> I'm sure you have fond memories of the milkman. You've been around for 120 years. What if he said that he was once a milkman in his youth? Would not surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. It either. would not surprise me if he told me he was a milkman now and he just <laughs> forgot that he was elected president. <laughs> it's a side gig, you know, it's a side Sorry, gig. I don't want to kid about the impending Kurt. dementia of our president um this <laughs> quits the presidency to be a milkman <laughs> uh yeah uh foreign blows what is there to say about it again not much really happens in it it is just like this nope. totally immersive experience that is beyond yeah. reproach and you just sit there and you're on the wavelength and you're done and you're like that was awesome i don't really know why but it was just Really fucking awesome. There's so many movies like that from the French New Wave. Um, yeah. And I know Godard is not always your bag. You you, uh, you have your uh, your grievances with I, Breathless and other films of his. But th There's only one film by Godard that I just I just don't like. It just did not work for me. It's like I, I had it's like I saw the genius there. But even though there was genius there, I just could not appreciate it, really. Mm. Um, if you said it was a good movie, fine. It wouldn't really bother me. Maybe it is a good movie, but it was contempt. I just, I really struggle with that one. It's like, I have issues with Breathless. I'm just not like the biggest fan of it. I still mm -hmm. think it's a good movie. Um, and I've grown to like uh, Pro LeFou uh, much more mm. to the point where I can say I think I like the movie. Okay. So. It's all vibe. There are four it Antoine vibe, sequels that Tr yep. Francois Truffaut made. Have you seen any of them? I've, I want to go on a, a binge now and, and, and watch them. 
Yeah. Mm. Apparently, I, I, some of them are pretty good. I, I've heard they're all pretty good, honestly. Mm. So, yeah. All I autobiographical. Love, I love character. Yeah, they yeah. track. I don't know if it's the same actor that plays them in. Yes, it is. Oh, it is really. Yep. Into yes, adulthood too. Mm-hmm. There's a little Richard Linklater inspiration for you. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, it's boyhood. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, the title is a literal translation from French, and that's why it doesn't make much sense in English. 400 Blows is sort of a nonsense title when you hear it in English, but in French, it's an idiom meaning to raise hell. Yes. They went with the literal translation. I really like the title, even though it doesn't make much sense. It well, kind of makes sense. I, I get it. It's like, oh, I see what that would mean. I think if you were to just read it, not understanding what it meant, you'd have mm. no idea what it was about. Mm. Uh, but when you finally hear the, the 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 actual translation or what the idiom means in, in, in French, it's like, oh, I see why it translates to 400 blows. Yeah, it's good. It's good shit. I love it. 400 God, blows, one it. of your favorites. It's, yeah, it's in a very important movie for me. So good. Oh, finally. By the way, oh, go ahead. Uh, uh, the, 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 the music. Oh, yeah. It extends to something I say about a lot of uh, French New Wave films is that they are like musicals without being musicals. Totally. And oh my God, does the music just add such a wonderful texture to this movie as well and just like add so much to the vibe and just the, the, the dreaminess to like the memory that it is for Truffaut. Even the movement, the way these characters yeah. move, it's like singing in the rain or something. That's it's like right. a very like old school Hollywood musical quality. I know. It's just you know, great. They're, they're always running. Everyone's always in movement. Like everyone's light on their feet. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, you're constantly running around. Like you're never like set in one place. Yeah, I know. In, in French New Wave stuff. Um, There's and such it, energy. Yeah. Such energy. Such total energy. Okay. Finally. Oh, boy. 2000s oh. in the mood for love. I. Was, I don't think there's ever been a moment on this pod that where I was so mad at myself for not uh, <laughs> nominating this one. It went right over my head. Directed by Wong Kar Wai, starring Tony Lung and Maggie Chung. Two neighbors, a woman and a man, form a strong bond after both suspect extramarital activities of their spouses. However, they agree to keep their bond platonic so as not to commit similar wrongs. Yep. 2000s movie on the Criterion Channel. Actually, most of these movies are on the Criterion Channel. Pads of yep. Glory, 400 Blows, In the Mood for Love, and The Player, all on yep. that service. Paper Moon was. I think they took it down. Oh, uh, really? Uh, the Limey might have a Criterion edition, though. I actually... Mm, Paper Moon, I think, is getting re-released. I just looked up their, their upcoming catalog. I think it's coming back. Okay. So. so if you subscribe to the Criterion channel, which you should, because it's a great yeah. streaming service, and mm-hmm. it's, you know, if you can spare the eight weeks of Falcon and Winter Soldier discourse, like, <laughs> if you take, can, that, I... take that money and spend it on the Criterion channel instead. <laughs> Let's be honest, like, like to, to the general public, the movies we're talking about right now just don't matter, which is very sad. No, I know. I mean, you got to see how Falcon and Winter Soldier connect to Captain Marvel too. It's just you can't better. miss out on that context. It's just better than Paths of Glory. What are we talking about? It's true. Might be a better war movie. We'll see. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Kubrickian is an adjective I've heard oh. <laughs> used about Falcon and Winter Soldier. WandaVision. Bogdanovich couldn't have done it better himself. <laughs> Look, I know this is a total straw man. No one actually said this. 
But if you compared WandaVision to the works of David Lynch, like you need to be shot on sight. <laughs> There's no place for you. At least you need to have your internet services revoked. <laughs> you're too far gone. Is what we need saying. to find your IP address and we need to shut down your internet because this is a problem if you are comparing WandaVision to David Lynch movies. Are you going to censor people, Nico? Is that yeah. what you're doing? It would be the best use of shadow banning, I think. <laughs> like, if they're doing it anyway, we might as well, like, target people that think Marvel movies are Lynchian. These are the people that do that. Forget Na- QAnon like- people, you know? <laughs> people think they, that, that those, those opinions don't matter, but they do. Those are the, the opinions that grow. And then everyone's like reevaluating WandaVision and they're like, oh. They're the ones that show up on election day, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm with you. Get get rid of them. Cancel them. Mm, <laughs> All right. In the mood for love. Yeah. Uh, Wong Kar Wai. I've heard about this guy. I've never seen one of his movies, though. And for that, I feel deep shame because this is like a perfect movie. It's like perfect. I didn't know it was perfect. I thought it was like really good. I, I I heard like great things about it and how I should see it. I did not know like beat for beat. There's nothing wrong with this movie, Adam. It's perfect. Yep, I agree. Holy crap. Yep, and I'm just Holy sitting here like mother of God. Understand, like listeners, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at Nico. I'm like, what do you have to say for yourself, Nico? <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel deep shame. I apologize for ever cracking a joke about foreign films, dude movie changed my life how can it not how can it not holy shit this movie's unbelievable it's like i can't i didn't i didn't realize a movie could get this good (laughs) totally um like wong kar wai might be one of the great directors in the face of the planet that i was just totally unaware of and ignorant of and i apologize i've I've heard uh his other films are great as well the grandmaster 2046 Chungking Express is one that I hear about all the time. Mm-hmm. I'll go back and watch them all now. I apologize. Yeah. I, I I will I will atone for my sins. I will cry, climb up to the mountain and whisper my sins into stone, <laughs> covered up with mud, because I feel great shame for overlooking this movie. Where do I begin? Every yep. decision is perfect. Yep. This is like the type of direction where it's like, how do you understand filmmaking on this level? Like. There are some directors you watch their work and it's like this is ingrained in their bones because there's no way like you can sit down with a pen and paper and block this thing out. Like yeah. this th- this is a natural extent extension of what this guy must feel in his being. He must dream this movie. This yes. movie must be a part of him because <laughs> like it's it is insane how he moves the camera and how specific every yep. choice is made. We just raved about Bogdanovich. I mean, every movement, every pan, every zoom um, is is masterful. What he chooses to show, what he chooses not to show. God, that's perfect. That shot, like, to speak to like what what not to show. There are there are like like I can't even say thirty perfect shots. The entire movie is one giant perfect shot. Mm. But like one in particular, though, um, when she's going to get the noodles for the first time, comes up the stairs and the camera just holds on nothing's space. Yeah. And then like five seconds later, he walks past. Yeah. <laughs> and just like how that emphasizes their relationship at that point in the movie. But it's, it's at the just... beginning of the movie. You don't even exactly. know where it's going to go. Exactly. But you know exactly where it's going to go in that one shot. The whole movie's that yeah. one shot. Exactly. Yes, exactly. It's like there's a connection there, but it's... 
coming into focus and you yeah. don't quite know what it is yet until it finally does reveal itself nor do they ever quite overlap it's like no. the second somebody enters the frame the other guy leaves yep and that that is the movie it's how it's about regret and it's about how you know life never quite lines up in the way that you want it to it's, um, it's just it's just longing man like this movie is just so beautifully about like just longing for something that you're not really going to get and just how upsetting that is, but mm-hmm. also how beautiful the journey is too. Mm-hmm. This is the thing about the movie is that like it, it's not technically a happy ending for either of the characters, but you do get that sense that they would have gone through it a thousand times over. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just so necessary for them. That's the whole point of the movie. It's like how love, you know. <sighs> This is a really deep conversation. I don't know how you don't get deep when talking about this movie. We've been getting pretty deep today. But like like a platonic relationship can mean more than 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 anything else. You Sometimes. Know? <laughs> like this movie convinces me like, yeah, th- this platonic relationship is greater than fucking Humphrey Bogart and Casablanca. I'm sorry. Right. It's it's right. unbelievably palpable. Totally. I mean, you hear this title in the mood for love and uh, you think that it's going to be kind of a. Uh, not like erotic thriller, but you know, you, you expect a few sex scenes. It's yeah, no, I certainly did when I first saw it. And there's, there's hints that maybe it's going to do that, but it doesn't. It never no. does. Nope. The, the only sex that happens in the movie happens off screen between two characters that you never meet. Yep. They're never shown the two adulterous lovers of these, uh, of these people. And just the choice not to show their faces mm-hmm. ever. It's so brilliant. Right. <laughs> But it, you're uh, able to characterize them because, again, yeah. it is specifically in these two people's point of view. It is a, an amazing movie if you just want to study point of view. But how they have the conversations with one another as surrogates for their spouses when they're like rehearsing what they're going to say to their spouses when they That's finally so confront great. them. Oh, it's it. brilliant. I mean, you learn everything about the two people that you never meet through those conversations. They're just acting too. Like what yeah. comes out of the, the, their personalities when they're just trying to like give that side of themselves and 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 and, and give the the rehearsals and just how they sometimes get upset and sometimes don't get upset. Mm. And but how that also builds their relationship. Mm. <laughs> it's just like wow, the fact that you're you're addressing this problem this way just makes me love you even more. Right. It's just it's so like when she slaps him and it's like a yeah. light slap i mean he's like he, what he's like what are you doing yeah. <laughs> she slaps him definitely like she's definitely mad but she doesn't slap him that hard nope. it's such like a specific choice this movie is filled with choices like that yeah the way that these two like hold each other's hand stand outside in the rain get noodles from down the street like everything it just everything is working in synchronicity with one another Wong kar is a fucking master of this craft dude He's Dude, amazing the- at this. This guy just knows exactly what he's doing at every moment. I can't give you one flaw in this movie. <laughs> no, it's perfect. No, it is. Yeah. It's, what do you want me to say? It's a perfect movie. It's a perfect like, movie. I was, I, I, I watched it again for the, for, I, I haven't seen it in about, I, I think a, a year and a half, two years. No, mm-hmm. two years too. Yeah. I saw it only a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just like, it was just the most incredible, unbelievable film I had ever seen in my life and like instantly became like one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. But again, to lo- what we were talking about at the beginning of the pod, just, there is not one shot in this film that's wasted. There's not mm. one shot in this film that was not thought over by Wong Kar Wai in his dreams for years. Probably. Every shot has an idea. Yes, yes, exactly. Man, that that wide dolly towards the end of the film after they've like really confessed their 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 you know love for each other and they're in their separate rooms and it's just going back and forth. Mm. She's got her head nuzzled against the wall and he's smoking and he's kind of doing the same. 
it's oh my god and sort of like that that believable connection but there's still that space in between them that they can't break no matter what they do mm. certainly it is definitely a showy movie in terms sure. of direction it, so it, what de- <laughs> definitely is that it is highly stylized and the color palette is also like very specific it's very specific i mean the the, the red the 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 different hues of red that that Wong Kar Wai plays around with is uh, is quite striking. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I were to point out a flaw, which I don't think it is one, it, it definitely does call attention to itself quite a bit. But uh, again, I just respect the fact that every shot has an idea. Mm-hmm. E- everything is intentional. Every editing choice is intentional. There are times where it's yeah. like a pretty like conventionally edited and paced movie. And then he'll just like throw you off with like some stuttery cuts. Yep. Uh, just like, you know, like just flashing through a couple different shots of the same movement happening, yep. sometimes repeating them over and over again. And it makes total sense. Mm-hmm. When the score hits, it makes total sense. When the movie is silent, it makes total sense. Yep. And the score is wonderful. And it repeats that same sort of like uh, motif over and over again in, in yep. the score. Uh, but he knows when to use it and he uses it sparingly. Yeah, and when does. it finally hits, it's like, oh, this is a moment where I'm supposed to perk up in my seat and listen to what these characters are about to say. It's almost like I need this again. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you start to log for it in the same way that they do. Yeah. You know, and every single moment like that just builds their relationship. And there's not a word of dialogue. Mm. There's no dialogue. It's all visual. It's all that beautiful slow motion, which can get irritating in some it's films. Not, but, but I was going to ask you about this. It's not quite slow motion. Some of them are like like the, the scenes where she's going to get the noodles. That is slow motion. But sure. Then there, but then there are other shots like where she's going down the steps that are more like 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 it's like mm, like twelve frames a second. I was going to ask you that. Like, what are yeah. they doing there? Is are they doing motion blur? Are they like dropping frames? It, like, how do you I, do that? Uh, I I mean, if it were motion blur, it'd be a little more recent. Like that's something we do nowadays with with editing software. It is motion blur technically, like it has a similar effect. But I think the film is just running at twelve frames a second. Okay, got it. Yeah, because it it has that quality of like it's going slow, but they're they're moving at the right speed. Yes. So it's like this weird like uncanny valley thing. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what the actual like like like. Uh, speed at which the frames are moving are, but like it's it's choppy frames. It's that's like how you get it. frames. Yeah. That's how you get that. Okay, got it. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. Uh, it, it it's uh, it's perfect. I love this relationship. Um, Me too. I I find the ending to be horrifically heartbreaking, but yeah. also quite beautiful. Um, yeah, I agree. All of those flash forwards, uh, the way that this movie plays around with time is really clever. It's really it, great. Yeah. All of the fades to black and 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 opens are uh are just brilliant and yeah by the end of it like just that you know the fact that he's like right outside of her apartment and he doesn't realize that she's there and it's just it's how it is hollywood shit even though it was made in china like it it does have that sort of like traditional hollywood movie star thing and that is also what what i wanted to say about these two actors they're both very famous over in china they are they were huge movie stars at the time of this movie being made and both of them just have that energy yeah. You know, but it mm-hmm. but without any of like that Hollywood sexualization. Well, you, um, you should see this actress in, in the police story movies. She plays uh-huh. Jackie Chan's girlfriend and it's just a totally different role. She's like a goofball in that one. Hmm. It's it's weird, like because, you know, I don't talk very much about like movie stars in China or Japan or anything like that, unless we're talking about like Toshira Mifune. But like you do see you, you do see like the effect of those those actors when you watch their movies too 
like in just like kind of their range and I can still appreciate them like like pretty deeply even though like I'm over here you mm. know and there's like a thousand cultural barriers that <laughs> like like shouldn't make sense to me but somehow I still connect to them and like 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 you know just like they were you know a friend of mine that stuff translates definitely it's beautiful yeah like movie stars are all over the place so it's like a, it's a universal language um, yeah 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 and yeah these two are just absolutely wonderful in this movie top to bottom um it's perfect everything's perfect every shot's perfect you wouldn't change any of it every cut dude like where she goes and she's she finally decides i'm gonna go with him to that smash cut to where she's alone in the apartment that they've been sharing all that yeah. time to write yeah. and she just like movies holds so long on her to finally cry it's just again and i, and I say this i'm gonna you know take another drink adam says it again just like <laughs> holding on the moment yeah <laughs> to its natural conclusion right. but also cutting quickly like this movie's not afraid to go fast it's and it's not also boring. not afraid to go slow no it's not boring no not at all hmm. yeah it's not very it's also again this is another one I, I watched it again the other night and i was like oh it's a lot shorter than i remember it all yeah. of these are pretty short yeah. 400 blows like an hour 45 in the mood for love's hour and a half maybe in a, in a little bit of change Pads of Glory and the Limey, under an hour and a half. Paper Moon, hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, these these are all just like movies that get to the fucking point. Yeah. None but of them it, are slow. None of them are boring. Well, it's weird because like In the Mood for Love is like very like languorous and it it, it it definitely takes its time in a lot of areas. Like it's, it most of the movie when I think about it feel like those very intimate slow motion shots of them just like walking down the alleyway or just the, the, the red drapes. Oh my God! Are you ever gonna forget those red drapes as in the empty hallway? Oh goodness! No, that that's like descending into the pits of hell. I know that shot. It's, it's insane. Like, you're gonna find him at the end of, end of this hallway, but you're not gonna like what you do when you get there. Like it is like, yeah, there's so much of this, but also the way he shoots these corridors. Mm-hmm. Like there are so many lesser filmmakers. If they were to shoot the exact same movie in the exact same location with the same soundstage, you you have seen a million times how it's done. Um, yeah. It takes a very special filmmaker to be able to shoot a room in a unique way. I mean, that's what's <laughs> happening here. Like yes. You see doorknobs in ways that you've never seen doorknobs before. You see, see ref- corridors and hallways and turns in ways that you've never seen before. See shooting through windows in ways you've never seen. Reflections. Oh, my God. The reflections in this movie are so are just so smart. It's just like a guy who knows how to paint, you right? Know? Really knows how to paint with a film. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's kind of like seeing Roman Polanski shoot Repulsion. Yeah, um, sure. You sure. know, it's 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 really hard to to just shoot an inert object in a unique way, uh, and it for not it, it for it not to be just stale. Um, this movie and- shoots a dirty ass phone in her office. And the shot lasts for like 10 seconds yeah. and it's, you're just waiting for it to ring. And it's like the most compelling thing you've ever seen. That one shot alone is like the most compelling thing you've seen, let alone the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah. This thing's a hall, hall of mirrors. It really is. Like yes. just ev- around every turn, it's like, you don't know what you're going to get. And it's just, mm-hmm. you're, you're seeing it through such a unique and specific lens. Yeah. I, I said this about, uh, about the player and I'll say it again here. Uh, no one else could have made this movie. It's only no, one car. No, way. God, no. no End no, of no. list. Yeah. End of list. And the best movies are like that. Yeah. The director of Exposition for a Murder could have made this movie. Po- possibly. Whatever happened to him? I don't really know. Yeah. It's kind of one Shoot off. up and spit out by the Hollywood system. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, feel, I, I heard some stories. I heard some stories, you know. Are you sending it. death threats to Tim Robbins? Is that what's <laughs> happening? 
I heard he was he found some glasses in a back alley and now he's convinced everyone's aliens, you know? <laughs> it's just a sad story, that guy. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> we gotta pick one of these, Adam. Uh one well, of these great movies has to get in. It's sad, right? It is very sad. Why can't we induct all of them? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 true, but the, the, I don't make the rules, you know. Yeah, I know. The, the, I don't make the rules. <laughs> I I mean I do have my choice, but you know. Okay. What were your choice, Bay? Uh, I I mean, for me, it's in the mood lo- in the mood for love, despite how much like four hundred blows means to me. To me, it's down between those two. I just can't express enough how much those movies mean to me. But Pass the Glory too. I don't want to sell that one short. But if I had to like pick from those. Three Pazagor would probably be at the bottom, as much as I adore that film. Um, uh, yeah, okay. For me, I think just in the mood for love, it's just again like a, it's a movie that just shows me cinema can be more than what I previously thought. Just like things like I never considered a movie would even do. I just I just love it when a movie impresses me to that degree. Yeah, um, I I will admit I think your movies are of slightly higher caliber than mine uh not to say that they're any better or worse than the, the ones that i nominated but like you know the limey is not gonna get in you know like the limey is like a, as you said it's like a hidden gem and belongs in that stature uh and i i don't think we need to put that one in and i, I think the player i feel similarly about paper moon would probably be my my yeah. first choice um i don't know if it's my favorite though but i i will give you that uh yeah your your three are I mean, they're they're Hall of Fame movies. You know yeah. what I'm saying? They're Hall of Fame movies that I've just been like, like, ang- just anxious to talk about for for a couple of years now. Honestly, and I, I agree th- with you. I think 400 Blows in the Mood for Love are my top two. Yep. Paths of Glory, I would probably leave on the outside looking in. Yeah. Okay. I'll go with that. And I think my tiebreaker here, and this is a cop out. I know. <laughs> But we're going to have another chance to put 400 Blows in. Yes, I agree. I completely agree. You know, yeah. we might do a Truffaut podcast. We might do the year 1959. We haven't covered it yet. I and can tell you now, like, when I when I watch Jules and Jim, like, 400 Blows is, like, I, I, I enjoyed Jules and Jim, but, like, like 400 Blows is significantly better. Mm. So. Uh, so I, I think I'm with you here. I think this is the movie that really changed my life the most. Although a lot <laughs> of these movies changed my life yeah. quite a bit. Yep. Yep. I think I think it's in the mood for love. I think we're in agreement on this. Yeah. I think I, I I'm I'm more than okay with that. This movie is insanely good. You cannot believe how good this movie is. This movie makes you talk like a pretentious asshole and you feel more than okay about it. <laughs> Man, I hope we didn't piss off like all of just the casual podcast listeners this week. No, but like to, to anyone like like listening who who's not into like like foreign cinema or is like apprehensive about it, like or, or doesn't like those kind of conversations that we just had that are maybe you know uh, h- how should we put it forged in the fire of film school. Sure, <laughs> a- a- absolutely, absolutely. You you will watch a movie like In the Mood for Love and have no other way of discussing it. Seriously. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's, you'll be able to be like, that's amazing. And I know yes. it's amazing. Yes. Like, it is universal. I, like, I, I, I could show this to my parents. They would love it. I think so, too. I, I, they might appreciate it differently than us, but, or same with my parents. But I don't think they would deny that it's, like, an incredible movie. 
you know. Congratulations. In the movie for love. Congrats. Into the movie Hall of Fame. Welcome, Juan Car Wai. This is going to make Jabril very happy, too. He loves this movie. Loves this movie, yeah. Yeah. But I saw this movie on my own volition, too. And no one recommended it to me aside from like, just YouTubers talking about it. I'm like, well, sure. it's got to be good. No, it's one I've been hearing about for many years. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad I finally had an excuse to take the plunge. If you're even mildly interested in cinema, this is like like mandatory. Seriously mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, next week, Adam. What's the plan? I don't know. We have a calendar now. We do, yes. Have we added to the calendar? <laughs> I, I put Howard Hawks in there. I penciled it in for next week. I don't know if you'll have time to watch them all. I know uh, you're going away again. You're you're a you're you're a well traveled man these days. I am. You know, I got you. Got to get out. You got to see the sights, the great old sights of freaking New England. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So well, I guess again we'll talk off air. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk I, off. I, We'll we'll see how it goes. I mean, if not if how if not Howard Hawks this week, maybe next week, because I know I'll have more time at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll come up with something. You can do your gambling pod. I don't mind. Mm. <laughs> gambling, gambling. Uh, yeah, we'll 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 keep that calendar updated. Okay. Ideally, I'd like to fill it out for a couple months, and that way we yeah, can no, bank all too. these ahead of time. Yeah, I was gonna say it'd be uh, much easier <laughs> because like. Uh, yeah, no, th- then you have time to actually prep and watch a shit ton of movies. Which yeah, is I mean, fun. when you're twiddling your thumbs on a Thursday and you, yeah, you exactly. need something to watch rather than watching, like, the fucking Woody Allen documentary on HBO, you can watch, like, a Howard Hawks classic. Yeah, why not? You seen that thing, by the way? Uh, Kajillionaire, a while no, ago. Uh, no, no, the, I'm sorry, uh, the uh, the Woody Allen thing. Have you seen that thing? Oh, no. Yeah, it's... Um, Did you watch it? Turns out not a good guy, that Woody Allen. Oh. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. This is on HBO? Where is it? HBO. It's a four-part series. Three parts have aired so far. Uh, Pharaoh, or no, what is it? Allen versus Pharaoh is what it's called. Oh. Okay, so does this, like, ruin Woody? Is he never going to make another movie? Well, I think we're past that point. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it definitely... Well, I don't want to talk about it. It's not fun. It's not a fun watch. Remember well, not leaving Neverland? You see that piece of shit? It's it's not like that, is it? Oh, it's like that. Really? Leaving Neverland's very good, but it is it's disturbing as hell. And yeah, I mean, sure. It is? Oh yeah. Oh no. So you're oh, upset. You, no, you hear all about the assault. I mean, you hear about the whole thing. I mean okay. you hear about everything. It's all there. Except it's longer than leaving Neverland. Wow. So so Nico's upset. No, I mean, I, well. You can admit it. You're a little upset. He's not a good guy, that Woody Allen. I acknowledge yeah. that. He makes great movies, though. Yes, he does. Yeah. Hey, I, lo- I still like uh, Roman Polanski's movies. Don't get me wrong. They're yeah. amazing. Definitely. I'm not saying I like the person, guys. Mm. You know. Uh, all right. That'll do it. But I do condone the Joker's actions. <laughs> <laughs> go to the discord uh, you can join with the link in the description for this podcast and that's all Do, subscribe to our other shows documentary month is on why is this a thing and we're having a blast <laughs> over there the the Werner podcast last week was a highlight I thought yeah that was a lot of fun <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what a movie so check that out and uh, until next time I don't have a quote just check these movies out <laughs> <laughs>